0: Coming up on this week's podcast.
1: Now he also throws in here, praise the Lord, the good one for the Gentiles, as he's speaking to a Jewish crowd here, that he has sheep of another pen. And that's the part you know where I start jumping up and down because I was outside the pen before and, and I'm glad that he found us in that other pen. And now his goal is ultimately to make us one flock with one shepherd. Stay tuned for more.
0: And welcome to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a vibrant church committed to biblically based teaching, often focusing on discovering the Jewish roots of the faith. You can find out more about our church at newhopechapel.org. Now, here's Carl Nevia with today's message.
1: So uh, today we're going to continue in our series on. Uh, the I am statements of Jesus. We've been through a number of them already. I am the bread of life. I am the vine. Last week I talked about Jesus' claim that he was the door. And one of the things that we saw last week was that his statement about being the door and his statement about being the good shepherd are directly connected together, uh, interwoven in John chapter 10 uh, in such a way that it's It's almost impossible to pull them apart. Uh, I did my best last week to pull apart the door component so that people could, uh, we could each understand uh, what he was saying in that. And as we talked about it, uh, it was uh, clear that when Jesus was referring to himself as the door and ultimately as he was referring to himself as the good shepherd, that what in fact he was speaking from was an occurrence that had just Uh, happened, where Jesus had ministered to a man who was born blind. And uh, there's an extensive section of John chapter 9 that talks about this incident, about the man who was born blind, and how it starts off with the disciples uh, of Jesus asking the question, whose fault was it that this man was born blind? Was it his sin, essentially, or was it the sin of his parents? And as the story goes on. Jesus heals this man. He puts some mud on his eyes, and he sends him off to the pool of Siloam to wash it, and he, he, uh, the blindness goes away. He's able to see. And he begins to tell people about what has happened to him, and he's immediately grilled by the Pharisees. Uh, and it's interesting. They, they, of course, don't like the fact that Jesus has healed on the Sabbath, but they start asking him, uh, now you weren't really born blind, were you? And he said, Of course I was born blind. Everybody knows I was born blind. And they, they continue to press him. They don't want to accept what he says. So they, they pull in his parents. This is like, you know, the Inquisition. This is like the secret police pulling in his parents and saying, he wasn't really born blind, was he? And they say, Well, you know, certainly he was. And they say, Well, how did he get healed? How did this happen? And they're frightened because these people, the scribes and Pharisees, essentially control the access to the synagogue. They control the access to the center of Jewish society, to the learning process, to access to understanding the law and the commandments and the scripture and so on. This was where they came to do that. And they lived in a world where, uh, as the Jewish people have always been, they're somewhat separate. They lived at that time in a world where they're surrounded by Romans and Roman guards. There were other uh, natives and foreign people in the land of Israel, uh, many of them governing what was going on. And so the, the Jews were still surrounded by these, the, the, the rest of the world. They were like a called-out people, but it wasn't particularly the greatest thing. You know, because everybody kind of stood against them. They were persecuted, as they have been essentially through all of time. And to be part of the synagogue was an essential component of the light, the lives that they were leading. To be thrown outside the synagogue was, to, in essence, to be shunned, to be thrown out in a way that maybe we in this area can understand, having at least seen some movies or driven to... Uh, Lancaster County once in a while and heard something about the Amish people who are, once again, a group of people very separate from the rest of society around them and there comes a time in the life of an Amish child where they choose whether they're going to stay with the group or they're not going to stay with the group and if they, for instance, choose to marry somebody outside the Amish faith or they choose to take the black stuff off their bumper and shine the bumper up or allow a little electricity in the house, or whatever happens to be, the particular conflict or whatever group they're in, they are shunned by the community. They're turned out. They're treated as if they're no longer part of the family. Uh, And, for instance, Gary had that same experience as he was growing up when he came to the point of going to his parents and saying, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, This was his senior year in high school, Not sure exactly what he was going to be doing in the future since his grades were not all that great. We think of Gary as really a smart guy, but his grades were not all that great. And his father said, you got the rest of the summer and then you're out of here. That was the end of it. So being part of the Jewish society at this time was really a critical thing. And they came after him with uh, this... uh, questions about Jesus and what he had done. And he finally says to them, look, you're asking me all these questions. Do you want to become one of his followers too? Are you one of his followers? They really get mad. And then finally he starts feeding back to them things that he has heard before. And that is essentially that God only answers the prayers of people who do his will. He doesn't answer anybody else's prayers and hear anybody else. So if he's heard Jesus's prayer and healed this man, of course, he must be good. So they get really ticked off because he's, in fact, taking their interpretation of the law and their inter- ter- interpretation of the scripture, and he's putting it back on them and saying, isn't this true? I mean, how could he be healing me? How could God be hearing his words if, it wasn't, if he wasn't doing good? And they come back and say, you were born in sin, you are steeped in sin all of your life. Interesting enough, that's the very question that the disciples were asking at the beginning. Was it, you know, he, his life, he it was his sin or was his parents' sin? So here, even the disciples have been schooled in the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees, that somehow for this man, he must have been steeped in sin from birth, and that is all that impacted his life, made him blind, now makes him rebellious, and all those other things. And that is, in a way, to then separate themselves and say, we're the people who know. We're the people in charge here. We're the ones who understand what the Bible says. Uh, You don't. And that was really critical, because when the Jews came out of exile... They'd gone into exile because of their rebellion, their idolatry, all these various things. They began to read the scripture again. And there are cases in the scripture where they break down weeping, having heard the word of God. And then during that period, after the exile, leading up to the days of Jesus, this group of people, the scribes and Pharisees, essentially take on the responsibilities as being the shepherds of the flock of God because the king, many of the kings at that point, they were appointed by, by Rome. Okay, the priests themselves in some case, the high priests were not, uh, weren't, were selected from the outside or selected by the Roman authorities, not according to the Jewish tradition. And please, if my hair does, <laughs> my coat or something does go up in a torch here, please, please let me know. Um, so... Uh, These people had, in fact, taken over the control, the training, the leadership, the shepherding of the people of God. Quite different from the old days when it was the kings, there were judges, uh, there were family leaders and so on. But these guys had hold of the synagogue. And Jesus then ministers to this man and ultimately tells him that he is the Messiah and that he's the door. Now, what did we learn about that last week? The door was the way in which the shepherds were supposed to get access to the flock of God. And if you came to get access to the, to the sheep in any other way than by going through Jesus the door, the loving, caring, sacrificial lamb of God, that you were in fact a thief and a robber essentially jumping over the fence. And that everyone, the, sh- the shepherds, the sheep, everyone needed to come in and out of that door. And going in and out of that door would find abundant life. Find safety in sanctuary, in the, the pen, in the, the, uh, the sheepfold. And find life and feeding and all kinds of great things. And maybe even some risk as we went out through the door, once again in Jesus' name, into uh, into the world in our lives outside. So we come to the end of that uh, scripture in uh, John chapter 10, and we come up to verse 11, where it shifts a little bit. And uh, could somebody read the next portion for me? Somebody has a good, strong voice. Doesn't have to be a male voice. But uh, I'm going to start, in, if you could start in verse 11
0: and i have authority to take it up again this charge i have received from my father there was again a division among the jews because of these words many of them said he has a demon and is insane why listen to him others said these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon can a demon open the eyes of the blind
1: amen i wasn't going to let you get out a little bit of artwork today so uh in fact, last night, I, don't know if, I know that some of you are really into classical music. You've got classical training and so on. And one of the wonderful things about studying the scripture is that as you begin to look at a little bit of it, you begin to see more and more how it is sewn together, how it's written together, into what really begins musically to, to, to seem like a symphony. And if you've ever seen people who, who uh, conduct large orchestras, you'll almost see them kind of lost there as they're calling up the tubas or they're calling up the clarinets and they they know exactly what's going on uh, in this particular piece of music and it's all linked together and the amazing thing about it is there are there are themes in the music and these themes begin to weave in and out where all of a sudden you'll hear just a few notes and you'll think, well, that was played way back in the beginning and so on. And as I was getting ready for this last night, I, w- I was sensing myself uh, kind of getting caught up in that symphony and this was turning into a really big symphony with lots of pieces and, and I'm sure as we, I was sitting there preparing, Loris was, Loris was seeing me like this with my laptop on, on my lap and I was probably sitting there like this typing a little bit when inside what I was seeing was all this you know wonderful stuff linked together and tied together and, and I had like 30 slides with amazing artwork that was representative of, of all this stuff that I was seeing linked together and then about 10 o'clock or something we went to bed last night and I said you know, if at least for right now, this is going to have to be the unfinished symphony, and I'm going to have to get up at 4:30 tomorrow morning, and I'm going to have to finish it. And then just before I jumped in the bed, I just sense God saying in that old Pentecostal way, "Carl, this is going to be two hours of stuff here, and at least you may be here till Tuesday, so you're going to have to cut that back." So this morning. So this morning I had to get into cutting it back, so you're only going to see a couple of the pictures. And this one, first of all, is from the, what's called the choir screen in the Cathedral of Chartres. Most European cathedrals, if not all of them, were basically uh, built in the shape of a cross, and at the top of that uh, cross area usually is where the choir sat and it had a, a, had a big framed area around it. And, The homily or the communion or whatever would generally be given from a place somewhere in the center. But in this particular uh, cathedral in uh, Chartres, France, around this whole area of the choir, they have this screen, they call it a screen, but it's actually uh, stone carvings that depict all of the life of Jesus in various stories. This one here being his ministry to this man who was born blind. And they're simply amazing. They're all about, I don't know, 6 by 6 or 8 by 8, very detailed carvings, once again, telling this story, about, I don't know, 40 to 50 separate of them going around um, going around this whole huge choir area. And this is really a big cathedral. It's a little bit bigger than, than New Hope. But uh, uh, this place is, uh, when you drive up from miles and miles away, you see it rising up out of the, the grain fields. Uh, it's really an amazing place. So, so Jesus has now moved on uh, in this story. He starts talking about himself. can come to the next slide, Justin, please. He begins talking about himself uh, as this good shepherd. And here's an a, uh, actual catacombs version of some artwork related to Jesus portraying uh, the good shepherd and here are the the basic points that Jesus lays out about himself as the good shepherd. First of all, he lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus does this. He does it willingly. He makes the choice that he's going to protect and give to the sheep. Of course, we know in the context of Jesus that giving his life, laying down his life for the sheep, actually means in the end laying down his life. It's not just Given it his best, it's not going out there and working hard. It's actually committing himself to the sacrificial work of dying for the sins of the world, dying for those who would be his, his flock, his sheep. It is a true laying down of his life for them. The second thing he says is that he's not a hireling. He didn't get paid to do this, he did it of his own choice, his own will. Uh, he was going to walk through this walk of laying down his life for the sheep. And that is a really critical point. In fact, he says that that a hireling is very likely when the wolves come and so on to pack up and to run away. But he's not that kind of shepherd. He is the kind that is going to be there through all the difficult situations. And certainly the disciples did not know and the people who were following at that point did not fully understand how difficult that situation was going to be. But it was truly going to be unto death and then, uh, as we know, unto resurrection. Now, he also talks in here about how the shepherd, this good shepherd, knows his sheep and is known by his sheep. Now, one could argue, Justin might argue, in fact, that this is about predestination I'm not so sure that that's the case. I think it's more a reflection of the reality that those who are in tune to Jesus, who are true followers, in fact, hear him when he speaks. And regardless of what he said to the scribes and Pharisees, he was running into a wall. He was not getting the response he was looking for. I mean, obviously there were some of them that actually turned also uh, to Jesus, but as a general rule, he was saying that uh, he kept speaking they were not hearing. So regardless of what he said about how you'd pull, you know, one of your animals out of a hole on the Sabbath, why would you heal someone on the Sabbath? They never quite get it. They keep bucking against it. And so he's he's making the statement here that those who know his voice, who are listening for that salvation, that grace message, are following after him, and he knows who those people are. Now, he also throws in here, praise the Lord, the good one for the Gentiles, as he's speaking to a Jewish crowd here, that he has sheep of another pen. And that's the part, you know, where I start jumping up and down, because I was outside the pen before, and, and I'm glad that he found us in that other pen. And now his goal is ultimately to make us one flock with one shepherd. And certainly as we look through all of the scripture, we see the story of God selecting a group of people, the Jewish people, to be an example to all of us of his uh, desire to communicate with humanity, to work with humanity, to love humanity, uh, and to, to uh, in the end, give himself for them. And uh, so the idea that the Gentiles were like an afterthought or something, it was always, I believe, to make the Jews that example that would pre- be presented to the world. It's throughout the Old Testament. Now the really amazing thing he says at the end is that he actually had the authority to take his life up again, which we know at the resurrection he essentially did. He rose up you know, from the dead on that day and he, uh, he broke through the gates of, of sin, and de- uh, sin and death uh, and he, uh, you know, he rose again, he, he conquered death uh, even though he had laid, uh, laid down his life. Now, here, they start getting, uh, they start getting very anxious as he's teach- telling them this. They start wondering whether he's crazy, is he demon-possessed, and so on. And, of course, some of the people logically start saying, well, he's done some pretty amazing things here. He has healed a blind man. So, uh, as we, this, this is in the fall period. Jesus is dealing with this. And then it comes to the Feast of Dedication, uh, which is in verse 22. But before I go there, I'd like to go over to Ezekiel 34 uh, to more or less uh, give you an idea of what the Jews were thinking in terms of shepherding. And uh, I'm going to read this through. I just ask that you just you listen and see all the different little parts that you've heard other places that are sewn into this whole idea of the good shepherd. And remember, here's Ezekiel. Uh, he is uh, prophesying J- Jerusalem's fall, and he's explaining what's happened there, uh, and how these people are going to be scattered. Uh, but that in, uh, in chapter 33, in verse 31, it says, my people come to you as they usually do, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, and sit before you to listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. With their mouths they express devotion, but with their hearts they are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, For they hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. So God's speaking to Ezekiel. He's telling him the people of Israel are not listening. Jerusalem's been torn down. They're being thrown into exile. And uh, then he goes on and he explains a little bit more of what this is about. It says, the word of the Lord, in verse uh, 1 of 34, came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord, that's Y-H-W-H, says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the, injur- uh, the injured, you have not brought back the strays and searched for the lost. So here Jesus has just ministered to a blind man. As we know, when Jesus talks about the shepherd, he talks about the shepherd being willing to look for the one lost sheep, even when there might be a hundred others. He said, you have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. Even Jesus, as he looks out over people who were following him, saying they look like sheep without a shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over the mountains and on every hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. If you ever think about all those pictures you see of Jesus with a lamb, it's, it's almost a very childlike, beautiful, pleasant thing. But I'll tell you, a lost lamb is not a good thing. Okay? I remember when I was growing up, my parents used to put me in charge of my little brother, who was eight years younger than I was, and we would go into one of these big stores, and we'd be walking around, and my mother would be shopping, and my job was to keep an eye on Mark. So Mark at that point was very small and he would be winding, wandering around inside and out of the clothing racks and stuff, kind of playing hide and seek. And um, I would finally come to that point where I'd think to myself, wouldn't it be an interesting trick to play on Mark if I suddenly just kind of disappeared? So I would hide myself among the clothes as he was wandering around. And I'll tell you, a sheep... That does not know it 's lost is happy go lucky, but that moment the sheep finds out that it 's lost, man, the look of fear on his face uh you know, I still have to repent <laughs> uh, i 'm still struggling with my repentance uh but <laughs> but anyway it it was just the look of shock as he suddenly realized he had no idea where anybody was. Not my mother, not me, not anybody. He's just there in this big crowded store. I mean, that's what a lost sheep is really about. It's not just the nice pictures of the shepherd with over him. That's the result, but a lost sheep is not not a good thing. Okay, then it says in verse 7, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord as surely as I live declares the sovereign Lord because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for the wild animals and because my shepherds do not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign God says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that they can no longer feed themselves. And I will rescue my flock from their mouths and, I will, and will no longer be good food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend to them in a good pasture and the mountains of heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. So I think it's very important for us to recognize that having come through the exile period, having come back into the land, it was certainly within the the ability of the scribes and Pharisees to have concluded that somehow all those people before were the bad shepherds, And they were coming back in with the word of God, with the law, with the rules, and so on. And they were there to instruct everybody how to live. And here, when Jesus steps up and says, I am the good shepherd, he is declaring himself to be the shepherd of Ezekiel 34, come to bring back the scattered, come to draw in the lost, come to heal the sick, That's what he's there for. He is the good shepherd, and all of you are still in the same category. You may have thought you were part of the good shepherd crowd, having, after the exile period, having walked through the days of the Maccabees, having fought those battles and so on, and now you've taken on the scripture and the word and teaching and all these things, you now see yourself somehow connected with the good shepherd that's going to follow all the exile. When, in fact, Jesus is declaring himself the good shepherd. And all that they were doing, interpreting the law, creating their list, telling everybody down every jot and tittle what they had to do, Jesus was saying, you're thieves and robbers. You are, in fact, the shepherds that I'm talking about here both before the exile and after the exile you're still in that same category now it's really amazing here that he doesn't just limit himself to the shepherds he goes on and says as for my flock this is what the sovereign lord says i will judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats is it not enough for you to feed for the good on the good pasture must you also trample the rest with of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? So the Lord not only speaks to the shepherds who are leading the flock, but he's also speaking for how we, the people of God and the Jewish people in this case, interact with one another and treat one another. Do we treat one another with caring and help one another in growing and supporting and so on. That's that's what he wants out of his flock. He wants a shepherd that will minister to his people and he wants the people themselves to be wary of one another and ministering to one another, encouraging one another so that in the end he will have a flock with this wonderful shepherd and sheep that are living with him, living before him, going in and out of that door recognizing his goodness in their lives, giving them abundant life, and treating each other as those treasured possessions, just as Jesus would have left for one of them to find them, that we as people in that flock would have that same heart, to care for one another, to love one another, to treat each other with that same kind of respect. So uh, as I close today, I want everybody to remember that Jesus is in fact at this day of of, uh, the feast of dedication, he's declaring himself to be the good shepherd, the shepherd of Ezekiel chapter 34. He's declaring that he is separate from all others and that he's drawing this flock together.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. New Hope Chapel is a vibrant ministry in Arnold, Maryland. We are a Christ-centered church with biblically-based teaching focused on the Jewish roots of the faith and committed to helping each person discover and use their spiritual gifts. If you're in the area, we would love for you to come and visit. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. Subscribe to the New Hope Chapel podcast on iTunes and you'll get the next podcast in your sleep. Yeah, it's